Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Well, hey, y'all. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. We are honored to see you. We are expectant today of what God wants to do among us. I want to start by looking at one verse in Romans chapter 12, a portion of our service of worship that is often overlooked uh, is that of giving back to God. That piece of worship where because of all that God's given to us, salvation, mercy, forgiveness, the appropriate response is to give our whole selves back to Jesus, sacrifice. So Romans 12, 1, the Bible says, therefore I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So God says, all the mercy that I've shown to you, the forgiveness, the salvation, the grace, sending my son, it's only appropriate and true and proper worship that you would sacrifice your whole life back to me. And so that includes our mind, our hearts, our souls, our time, our talent, and also our, our treasures. One of the main ways we're able to worship Jesus by giving back. So when we gather on Sundays as a church, there's several ways we worship. We sing songs to God. We pray to him We love one another, that's worship. We sit under his word, that's worship. But true worship isn't just sitting under God's word, it's obeying God's word and saying, God, your word has authority in my life. And here in the word, God says, offer your body, your life, your time, your talents, your finances back to me is a sacrifice of praise. And so I know since COVID, we don't, most churches, ours are, we're not passing the plates like we used to, right or wrong, I don't know. Maybe we'll do that again one day. But I just, pastorally, we, this is so important to worship. I wanna commend this act of worship to you to give back to God for the furtherance of his mission and kingdom. And so practically when the service is over, we have black boxes, offering boxes at each exit or you can give online. That's for those that call Pleasant Valley home. If you're a guest, we're not asking you to do that at all. This is our gift to you. But if, as a worshiper of Christ, is this your church home? Don't skip over that critical piece of giving back to the Lord. Well, I want to um, introduce to you a new ministry team at Pleasant Valley that I'm really excited about. For years now, And then COVID, everything happened. Annie and I have been praying and asking the Lord to raise up a a ministry team at our church, a a team of men and women who every Sunday are going to be equipped, eager, expectant, and ready to pray for anyone in this room that has a need. 
And today we're going to introduce you to that team. And starting today, and at the conclusion of every sermon from this point forward until Jesus comes back, the preacher, today it'll be me, will be standing right here in the middle, ready to receive you, to pray for you. And then we're going to have ministry team members here, ministering team members here at that exit right there. And at that one, they'll be wearing Navy lanyards and it'll simply say, how can I pray for you? You won't be able to miss them. You know, Jesus never said the church would be a house of preaching, and I love preaching. He never said it would be a house of singing. He said, my house, though, shall be a house of prayer. And so we want to create a culture at Pleasant Valley where prayer is always happening, but not just from up here, but among the people of God, we're praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. And so every Sunday, if you need prayer for a sickness, for something in your personal life, relational issue, broken family stuff, work stress, anxiety, depression, whatever you got that's hanging over you, there are men and women who love to pray and they love to love people well. And so I just want you to know, we, you have that culture here where it's okay not to be okay and we wanna pray for you. So even throughout today's message, be thinking about, do I need prayer today? And would I come forward and receive that prayer? So I want to ask our ministry team, if they would, if you're in the room, would you guys come on down, guys and gals? Uh, we're just going to have them stand right along the front here. Uh, I just want you to be able to see who they are. These are the men and women that have felt a call from the Lord to serve on this team where every Sunday they're just going to be available to pray for you. So I want you to see their faces so that you'll feel comfortable with them. And uh, I just want to pray a blessing over them and commission them to be ministers of prayer every Sunday. So would you join with me in praying for them? Father, thank you for these men and women. Lord, thank you for their desire to serve the body of Christ in what may be the most vital ministry in the church, and that is praying for the hurting and the broken and the weary and the sad and Lord, we pray that you would make Pleasant Valley a house of prayer. God, birth in us a desperation and a longing to cry out to you in prayer. Lord, we need you and your presence. So God, use this team. God, use their prayers. Would you hear their prayers? Lord, I pray that during the week leading up to Sunday, they would be men and women who are on their knees seeking you, filled with your spirit, so that when they come here on Sundays, they're ready to give back and to pray and to pour themselves out in prayer. So God, bless this new ministry team. And Lord, I pray that this would be a house of prayer. And we're going to say that over and over again. Oh, God. Help us to bear one another's burdens in prayer. And would you hear them and answer them for your glory and for your great name and make us a people that have the faith to call upon you. Oh God, like the disciples, we pray, teach us to pray. God bless this team. Anoint them with your spirit and use them today and moving forward for your great name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all so much. And again, you'll be seeing them again at the end of the message today. And 
they would love to pray for you. One of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. He's one of the greatest. My two favorite Denzel movies are, number one, Glory, the 1989 film based on a true story of the Civil War. It's incredible if you haven't seen it. But then also, uh, I think Remember the Titans is obviously one of the great ones, sports movies of all time. One that sneaks in, you often forget about, is in the late 90s, a movie called He Got Game with Denzel. Not all of y'all know about that, but if you know, you know. And a great movie. But recently, Annie and I and the kids went back and watched John Q. Some of you remember this uh, great movie with Denzel. He plays the role of a desperate father whose young son has a heart condition that requires a heart transplant without which his young son will die. I won't give you all the details. You can watch the film, but um, in short, the insurance company is not going to cover the transplant, and so this little boy is going to die. And so Denzel and his wife do everything they can to raise as much money as possible to pay for the surgery, but they're way short. And so in desperation, Denzel does things, even breaking the law, to do whatever it takes to save his little boy's life. And you can watch the movie and figure out exactly what he does. But it's a movie, a film of a dying child and a desperate dad. And it's exactly what's happening in Luke chapter 8 today. If you'll turn there, this is our first sermon, our new series, Encounters with Jesus. We're going to walk through Luke's gospel and see incredible testimonies of Jesus changing people's lives. It's a story of a dying little girl and a desperate dad. Let's stand, if you would, out of respect of reading God's word. I'm going to read to you uh, 16 verses in Luke chapter 8. The context is Up to this point in Luke 8, on the same day, Jesus has calmed a storm on the sea. And he's cast a demon out of a guy in a cemetery that was crazy. Jesus has done some incredible things. He's probably tired. He's probably exhausted. And then this is what Christ walks into, beginning in verse 40. Luke, who's a physician, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These words. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for Jesus. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored or begged Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. And she was dying. So put yourself in this daddy's shoes, especially if you've got a daughter or a child. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When everybody denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. 
for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Jesus, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Well, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and your daughter will be well. And when Jesus came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, Jesus called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and the little girl got up at once. And Jesus directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Lord Jesus, bless now the reading of your word and use it to stir up faith in our heart that we would be a desperate people just to receive a touch from the Lord Jesus Christ in whose powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In this text, two more examples of what we see over and over again all throughout the four Gospels and throughout Acts in particular, we see the power of Jesus Christ to heal. And Hebrews 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means Jesus, who healed the sick, In Luke chapter 8 in Galilee is the same Jesus who can heal the sick in Owensboro at 800 Pleasant Valley Road because Jesus' name is not I was. His name is I am. Christ is still here. Christ is still God. And so at the end of this message today, in faith, We're going to invite anyone in this room who would like to receive prayer for healing, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, or any issue, to come forward and receive prayer to the same Christ in this text who has already proved he can do it. And in 16 plus years at Pleasant Valley, we've had many healing services and the the elders have anointed countless people with oil and prayed and we've seen Many miracles happen, and we know it can happen again today. And people have been praying, and we come in expectant that God may very well do what only God can do today. So there's that. But there's this tension in Scripture we have to submit ourselves to because there's also this dynamic. While for some This service has the potential to be glorious and 
powerful and wow, look at God. It could be that for others, this service leaves us disappointed or sad. Because it's not always God's will to heal in this life. And some may come forward for prayer today in dire pain and suffering, chronic illness, debilitating anxiety or depression. Some among us are facing terminal illness that outside of divine intervention will take our life. And they may leave here today and nothing changes. And when they go back to the dock for the scan, the cancer's still there. And so for some of us, what the Lord, I think, wants me to share is your healing is coming. But we will die first. And then the healing will come in heaven. I don't know who that's for. That may be for one person or one family. That could be for multiple people. I don't know. But God kept me up late last night and kind of had me rework the sermon, and in particular the beginning here. to start at the end of the passage, which is a funeral. Go back to what the text says in Luke 8, 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. So remember at the beginning of chapter eight, Jesus, come to my house. She's very ill. She's dying, but she hadn't died yet. By the end of the story, she's passed away. And in those days, they didn't have the same capacities we have now in terms of the embalming services, et cetera. So funerals would happen very quickly to preserve the body. And the mourners, they would actually hire professional mourners in those days to, to do that. The funeral has started. The Jesus has let this little 12-year-old girl die. And then he healed her. Why? Because if you go back to Luke 7, and we won't do that, but it's Jesus healed a person from miles and miles away right before this. In other words, Jesus has already proven in this same context, he doesn't have to be in the room to heal someone from a thousand miles away. Jesus says, be healed, and they're healed because he's God. He's all powerful. So Jesus, as soon as the dad said, Jesus, my baby girl's dying, could you heal? Jesus could have said, sure, and just said, be healed. And from a dozen miles away, she's healed. He doesn't do that. He lets the little girl die. I was like, God, why would you do it that way? 
One of the reasons may be Jesus let the little girl die was to give us comfort and peace to know that Jesus is with us when we die too. Even if we don't get better in this life, even if we die and with that prematurely, we will still be healed. But we won't wake up in a hospital bed. We'll wake up in heaven. Because if we are in Christ, death is not the end. Because when Jesus arose on Easter morning, he kicked death right square in the teeth. When Christ came up out of the tomb, he crushed death's stupid little head. When Christ rose up out of the tomb, he left the cemetery. Then he came back to the cemetery and Jesus laid death in its grave. So this 12-year-old little girl dies But look at what happens next. Christ wants to show he doesn't just have authority over the living, but over the dead. And Christ is just as present at the funeral as he is at the ball game. And so in verse 52, all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Jesus knowing that she was dead. Now, clinically speaking, she was dead. Jesus says, when a child of God dies, they're actually just napping. Death is not permanent. It's not the final word for a child of God. Because when Jesus says the word over the dead person, as it were, they're going to get back up. In verse 54, taking the little girl by the hand, he called saying, child, Arise. He speaks the authoritative word over her, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And so it could be that it is not the will of God for some of us to receive healing this morning or even in this life. But this is actually why God has some of us here this morning, or maybe someone watching online. It's for this word right here, that if your hope is in Christ, like that little 12-year-old girl, we will close our eyes in death. But the first thing we will see when we open them on the other side will be the face of Christ. Can you imagine waking up to Jesus? that we will close our eyes in death, but the first voice we will hear when we wake up is the sweet voice of Christ. Not a radio, not a TV, but the voice of Christ. Can you imagine the glory that will be? To live as Christ, to die is gain. Only in Christianity is it better to pass away. I don't know what God has For us, I think God's going to heal some people, but I think for others, God is saying, I don't want you to be afraid to die. I'm going to be with you. I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, and you need not fear 
I just don't think as Christians we think enough about the fact that heaven is going to be so amazing. We get so caught up in this world and all it has to offer and we want to white knuckle and hold on to this life and its pleasures and its luxuries and that's the great gifts from God. But friends, heaven is going to be so much better so much better than if we could experience it. I think we'd all want to go there now. Paul said that God gave Paul this opportunity. He took him up to heaven for a few days and let him explore. And Paul came back and basically said, I can't even explain to you how amazing it was there. But then later he says, I really want to go back. And this is a man who walked the streets of heaven and he walked the streets of earth. He said, Hundred out of a hundred times, give me heaven. And so for those of you this morning, whether you're a young person and you have anxiety about death or you're a teenager and you have anxiety about your parents passing away or Jesus is so saved. He is sovereign over death. And for his children, it is sweet and it is precious. And he will hold your hand. And I just think that the greatest thing about heaven isn't just no more chemo and no more suffering and pain, no more anxiety and depression. But the most amazing thing about heaven is going to make us so happy is that Christ will be there. And I think late last night, about midnight, Jesus laid it on my heart to say this. I don't know who this is for. And I don't know when it's going to happen. But I think that Jesus wanted me to tell you, he, he can't wait to see you. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Friends, as Christians, we look death in the face and we say, Christ has defeated you. I will not fear. So that all happened at midnight. Now, back to the original sermon I had prepared for you. Just a couple quick points, then we're gonna we're gonna pray for each other. We're gonna ask God to do incredible things. Here's, here's the big takeaway from this message. Let the desperation drive you to Christ. Like John Q. Denzel, Luke 8 is a story of desperation. So in verse 41, here's what's happening. There's a ruler of a synagogue named Jairus. Now that was a prominent, prestigious position filled with dignity and honor and respect. Jairus would have been paid well. He was in charge essentially of, he would have kind of been like on a board of directors for the synagogue, the house of worship. He would have been in charge of planning the services. He was a religious leader and authority, and, and that was a prominent position. So Jairus was a man who'd had the good life. Life had offered him all the most lavish things, but now life was about to take from him the most precious thing, his 12-year-old baby girl, his only child. Because we learn in verse 42, she's dying. And parents, again, just want us to put ourselves in this man's shoes. 
Think about our own children. I have a 13-year-old daughter, sweet Ellie, and I mean, the thought of something happening to her is more than I could even comprehend. Anyone here with children or grandchildren, we feel the weight of this. It's every parent's worst nightmare, what's happening to this man. And, and so just like John Q., Jairus is desperate to save his baby girl. And so in verse 41, he falls at Jesus' feet and he implored or begged Jesus to come to his house. Now, we just kind of read right over that. That's a major spectacle because this is a man of influence and prestige. And in that culture, it would have been unheard of for an affluent, well-to-do, successful, prominent man to ever get on his knees and beg for anything. Homeless people are beggars, not this guy, but he's so desperate and broken for his baby girl. He says, I don't care if I get my suit dirty. I don't care what people think. I'll cry in public. I don't have to be seen as strong. My baby is dying. Oh, Jesus, would you have mercy? He's so desperate. But here's the dilemma. Jairus would have been in all likelihood a Pharisee. Remember them? They're the religious leaders that did not like Jesus. They crucified Jesus. So it's very likely this man had spent the past couple years mocking and ridiculing, potentially even seeking to arrange the arrest and death of Jesus but he's so desperate and broken. He's like, I'll try anything. Maybe this Christ is the son of God. Maybe he's not a phony and a fake. I'll, anything to save my girl. I'll even try Christ. And so he throws himself at the feet of Jesus in desperation. And this is where some of us are this morning. Like Jairus, Christ is calling some of us this morning to swallow, I guess I want to say the pride that has kept us from desperately falling down before Christ. Is saying, Jesus, I've tried everything. You're my only hope. And for some of us, that might mean publicly. Saying, I need prayer. There are grown men in this room who have never asked for prayer. Because we're told we gotta be strong. Strong men don't cry. We hold on to these things, but... Jairus was a man who got so desperate for sometimes God will allow circumstances in our life to get us to the end of our rope to hit rock bottom so that we'll finally say, okay, Christ, I'll come humbly before you. Others of us, Christ is calling us this morning to lay aside our doubts and questions about our faith. You're like, I don't got the Bible figured out and I don't know about this Jesus thing and the gospel. And sometimes God's saying, okay, 
have your questions. Just come to Christ, the person, and try Christ. Just do it when all else fails. Jesus loves to work when nothing else will. How many of us this morning have this gaping problem in our life? It may be physical or mental or emotional or relational, and we've tried everything to fill this hole. Young people, how many of you, if I could just have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I'll be happy. Others, if I could just have a better job and make more money, that will satisfy. If I could have this doctor or that medication or this treatment or this spouse or this life or this home or this vacation, and we've tried everything, the pills, the porn, and none of it satisfies. And Christ is saying this whole time I've been right here. Come to me. I'm the answer. When nothing else works, Christ Loves to save the day. Are you sick this morning? Christ is saying, come to me. Are you broken? Christ says, come to me. Is your marriage falling apart? Christ says, come to me. Are you destitute? Christ says, come to me. And that's why we want to pray for you this morning because we know there is nothing in your life this morning that is too far gone for Jesus. And then lastly, here's the second takeaway, and then we're going to pray. Jesus opens his arms to the people that the world or even the religious community stigmatizes as unclean. Okay, so Jairus throws himself at Jesus. He's got a 12-year-old daughter that's dying. Jesus is going to go minister to her, but there's an interruption that happens. In verse 43, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, this is so important to understand. This, too, is a spectacle to behold. Because of her condition of bleeding, without going into all the graphic detail, you can imagine, under Old Testament Levitical law, we talked about this last week in Haggai, this woman would have been ceremonially and spiritually unclean and contagious, spiritually speaking. She would have been banned, essentially, from all social interaction an outcast in society, a huge scarlet letter. Remember that, Nathaniel Hawthorne, a scarlet letter? A, this was her, this stigma on her. She was not allowed to be in any public places at all by law without notifying everyone of her condition. So imagine if you're in her shoes, the shame, the embarrassment. So what would we probably do? To stay at the house. So you've got a woman who is living in isolation. It is quite possible that for 12 years, this woman was in what would be the equivalent of COVID quarantine. Because of her issue of blood, the law would require no man be intimate with her. So at the, likely she had no husband, or even if she did, he could not hold her. No child or grandchild to hug. 
no pastor to hold her hand and pray, no friend who showed her she could cry on. I think about, for example, my mom and COVID and her health conditions, and so we couldn't. I mean, the, it was inhumane that for a year or two, you had people who received no physical touch. So imagine no hugs, no kisses. 12 years. She spent all of her money on all this treatments. Nothing works. And so she's in desperation. And she's like, I'll go against the law. But John Q did. I'll, I'll go out in public. I'll go through the mass crowds. Bearing the shame and everybody want the cootie shot because I'm around. Like, I don't care about any of that. Just give me Christ. I've heard he can heal the sick and I heard he loves people. And I'll try anything. If I can just touch his clothes, that'll be enough. And so in the middle of potentially hundreds of people, she grabs his garment and Jesus does the most amazing thing. He stops. And he does not rebuke her for getting in his way to a more important assignment from the prominent leader's daughter. From a medical triage perspective, which case is more critical? You go to the ER today with a migraine and another person comes in with a gunshot, who are we treating first? Gunshot victim. You've got a 12-year-old little girl that is dying. And a woman that's been having the same issue for 12 years, but she's still alive. Which case is more critically important? But Jesus doesn't see it in those terms. He just lost the person right in front of him. I've heard so many Christians say, well, I'm suffering and I'm hurting, but I, I feel bad for even complaining because there's people that have it so much worse than that. Don't, don't say that. That's true. But, but that's not how Jesus sees it. Your problem, though it may be small to others, is massive to Jesus because he cares about you. He sees your story, your pain, your sleepless nights, your anxiety going to public school tomorrow. You're scared to sit alone again. And that is just as important to the heart of Jesus than the person that's dying. And so Jesus stops and he engages with this unnamed woman as if she were the only person in the world. And he gives her his undivided attention. And imagine the love she must have felt when the king of the universe stopped and looked her in the eyes. And he said in verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. The only time in scripture Jesus referred to someone as his daughter. To the woman who, from what we know, had no father, Jesus became her father. And after she touched his garment, verse 46 says, power came out from Jesus and immediately she's healed. But this isn't just a medical healing or a physical healing. This is spiritual salvation. 
Here's how we know that. Go back to that verse, verse 48. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Other accounts, like I think it's in Mark's gospel, for example, your faith has healed you. The word, here's what it means. It's, it's a Greek word that means physical healing, yes, but also spiritual healing or spiritual salvation or both. So in all likelihood, Luke, who himself is a physician, chooses a word here because it's likely as this woman is placing her faith in Jesus to be physically healed, at the same time, she's placing her faith in Jesus to receive forgiveness of sins because her physical bleeding was real, but it was also indicative and a metaphor of the true sin disease that she had and we all have. And I imagine as she entered into the presence of the Son of God and got so close to his holiness and perhaps when she touched his holy clothes in that moment, she knew, I need more than physical relief. My soul needs salvation and this Son of God has it for me and she's saved. Her faith made her holistically well. Friends, what good does it do if we receive physical healing but our soul goes on suffering without Christ. We need the whole self healed in Jesus' name. And so by touching Jesus' garment by law, she would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. But she doesn't. Instead, he makes her clean. And it's a foreshadowing, a picture of the gospel of the cross where Jesus would take on all of our dirty and then give us his clean righteousness. Because on the cross of Christ, he bore the intensity of our addiction. On the cross, Christ hung naked. Why? because he's bearing the shame of our sexual promiscuity that's still haunting some of us, the shame we feel from our past and what we've done. And we feel so unclean for our sexual sin and Christ hung there naked and he bore that curse for you and he's offering you freedom from your sexual past. Christ on the cross bore the guilt of that abortion. He bore the humiliation of that incarceration. He bore the sadness of our broken family. Christ bore on the cross the trauma of that abuse. He absorbed in his body the desperation of our poverty, the hardship of our special needs, the loneliness of losing our spouse, the pain of the chronic illness, the aggression of the cancer, the mental distress of the bipolar, the darkness of the depression. Christ absorbed it on his body and he took it for his kids because he loves us. Whatever you're enduring or will endure, Christ endured it fully on the cross so that he can sympathize now with us. And this is why the prophet Isaiah says, look at this beautiful prophecy hundreds of years before Christ came. This is what he says in Isaiah chapter number 53. Jesus himself bore on the cross our sicknesses. Jesus carried our pains 
But we in turn regarded Jesus as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Jesus. And we are healed by Jesus' wounds on the cross. And here's what's awesome in the New Testament. Matthew, for example, applies this passage to both spiritual and physical healing. Here's what that means. There's not a bad thing in the world. There's not a curse. There's not a disease. There's not a disorder. There's not a problem. There's not a trial. There's not a suffering. There's not a single evil or bad thing in the world that Christ did not bear on the cross. And therefore, there's not a bad or evil or mean thing in the world that Christ doesn't have the power to overcome. So the authoritative power for healing comes from the death and resurrection of Christ because he's been there and done that and Christ walks out victorious. And so whatever your need this morning, whatever the sickness, however grim the prognosis, however debilitating the mental stress and anxiety, however severed the relationship, however estranged the child and rebellion, Christ is the answer. Christ can have the power to save, heal, and deliver and set any situation free. And so this morning, some of us are at the end of our rope and we're desperate. And so what is keeping you? What is keeping me from throwing ourselves at the feet of Christ? Because we've tried everything else. And Christ is saying, here I am. Come to me. Oh, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What would it look like for some of us to swallow our pride? I'm thinking about a grown man or an adult woman or a child or a teenager, and we care so much about our public persona and, and what people think of us. What, would it, what if God is saying to some of us this morning, swallow your pride and come ask for prayer? Maybe that which is holding back a, 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 a new season in our life is simply our unwillingness to throw ourselves at the feet of Christ for mercy. And sometimes the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So what we want to do now is create space for a lot of us desperate beggars to come and try to grab a hold of the hem of Jesus. So let's bow our heads. Now, don't check out. Let's not leave. And ask our ministry team members if they would move to your places. And ask our musicians to come. We're going to just kind of play some music here. But guys, here is what we're going to do. We're going to open up this service for anyone who needs prayer to come. And so don't get out of your seat yet and come for prayer. Just, I just want you to sit with the Lord for a moment and just say, God, are you calling me to get up and ask for prayer? Because it could just be that measure of humility. I wonder if there's a couple in the room and your relationship is barely holding on. And it would just be very humbling to come ask one of these team members, say, hey, I just, we're not going to give you all the details, but our marriage needs prayer.
And I wonder if there wouldn't be some healing power in that. I wonder if there's a family here and there's an issue with a child or a grandchild. You ain't got to give details. You just say, hey, I just need you to pray for my family. Maybe there's a sickness and you're like, man, Jameis, there's people that got terminal illness and I just got this foot that hurts. It's so little and it's not a big deal, but it's bothering me and I feel bad coming for prayer because it's nothing compared to, and, and Jesus is like, but I care about your foot. I care about that pain. So just ask the Lord if he would have you to come. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too small. Maybe there's a child or a kid or a teenager and your anxiety is just killing you and the thought of going to school tomorrow, you'd rather die. And Jesus just wants you to know he loves you and he cares about you and he doesn't want you to be anxious. He would love to bring you healing from that anxiety. And there are some sweet, sweet people in this room who would just love to pray for you. I'm going to be standing down here at the front. I'd love to pray for you or hand you over to someone else, but there's people up here at the front on either side of me at this stage and then at the back exit doors, we have team members as well. They're wearing lanyards. And if you just walk in their direction, if you're not real sure where to go, they'll see you and, and, and come out and say, introduce themselves. It won't be awkward. They're just going to love you and pray for you. That's all. So at this time, if you would like to receive prayer, just slide up out of your seat and, and go ahead and go to the aisle closest to you. And just approach the, the team there and they'll pray for you. Now, everyone else, if, if you're not coming for prayer, you play a vital role in this service. You also are a part of our prayer team and we want you to pray right where you are. Okay, so don't disengage. Don't check out everyone that's seated. Pray for those that are coming for prayer. And then we're gonna have... Shelly is going to guide us through over the next several minutes a few passages of Scripture you can pray through. So we're going to give you specific things to pray, but don't disengage. Let's do body of Christ work here. Let's all together come and seek God's face for healing in Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, Find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.